0: Uh, this morning, we're going to do something special for Easter time. I'm Easter, yeah. Uh, I, wanna, I wanted to say Resurrection Sunday is what I wanted to say I missed it. Uh, but uh, that's what it is. It's Resurrection Sunday on Easter. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23, verses 17 through 43. We're going to look at that a little bit at a time. I'm not going to take it all at once. Luke chapter 23, 17 to 43 is where we're going to be. Anyway, I wanted to wish you a happy Resurrection Sunday. I'm so thankful that we have one. I hope you are. And though I thought about it uh, a lot, I I came to this conclusion. A person cannot have a genuinely happy Easter or Resurrection Sunday if one does not know personally that man who made it possible. I'm talking about the God-man Jesus Christ. Without him making it possible, we wouldn't have this. And that God-man Jesus came because he wanted to and because he loved us. Without a relationship to him, it is just another day at best. Here is the situation with humanity. The Bible teaches us that we all inherited the sin of Adam, and that is our sin nature. We call that the inherited or imputed sin of Adam. He was our federal head as God looks at it, and in Adam we all sin, so we're all guilty of that. Then I want to uh, read a, a verse that goes along with that. And all these should be in your bulletin if you're following along. uh, All the verses in any way. Uh, Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So we are conceived in the womb, sinners, and uh, we choose to sin always. And there is none righteous, no, not one, And uh, we were conceived in the womb that way, the Bible says in Psalm 51.5, David said, uh, my mother conceived me in sin. So we're sinners from conception. And we have all been conceived that way. No one escaped that except Jesus Christ because he did not have a human father through which the sin part travels. Uh, He had had God as his father. The Bible further tells us that uh, not only are we sinners, but we are also enemies of God. And I wanted to show you that too. I don't know why I closed Romans, but it's in Romans chapter five, and uh, there we we read verse ten. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. So it's enemies that God reconciles to Himself, not friends. All of us were born in sin. All of us are enemies of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And that's our story. That's, that's what's true about us. And without Jesus Christ, we have no hope for anything uh, but the lake of fire at the end of our life. We are all offenders, the Bible said. Uh, the Bible is very clear in Romans 3:23. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then it's also very clear in chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And he means not only physical death, but a second death, which is the death in hell. And uh, Revelation talks about that. Unless, that is, we choose the only other alternative path in life. People talk about all kinds of alternatives in life to get to the end. There's only two. You're either with God or you're not with God. You're either following some falsehood or you're following the truth in Jesus Christ. So uh, we want to find the path that leads us to the cross of Calvary. Um, by the way, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Uh, Calvary is a mountain. Cavalry is a group of soldiers. Uh, so uh, let's, let's talk about the hill of Calvary, not the cavalry. Although Jesus was a one-man cavalry that came to save us, right? Anyway, uh, that is all done through Christ, his finished work on the cross. How do I know it's finished? Because Jesus said before he died, it is finished. It's over. You don't have to work your way into heaven. There's nothing you can pay for it. He said, I finished it. There's nothing you can add to it. And that's a freeing thing because we don't have anything that would add to it at all. God said all of our righteous works are like filthy rags. And he doesn't need our filthy rags, our works. Well, if we desire to spend eternity with the Father in heaven, we must go through Jesus. Now, I'm picking my prepositions biblically. The Bible is very clear. If you want to get to God, and here's Jesus Christ, you can't go under him. You can't go over him. You can't go around him. Uh, The Greek text is very clear. You have to go through him. I have to go through Jesus, who is the gate of of the sheep to the sheepfold. I can't go around him, over him, or under him. I have to go through him. How do I go through Jesus? I can't bypass him. I have to go through him if I want to get to God. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. You must go through Jesus. Who, the Bible says in John 14, 6, is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one that can come to the Father except through him. And if you didn't know that, I hope you're hearing what I have to say this morning. Jesus, then, is the only life giver. Uh, that is what I want us to focus on this, this Easter morning. And if you had join me in that, I would appreciate it. Now, I want to go to Luke chapter 23, and I want to just uh, read verses 17 through 25. Then we'll stop there, and we'll talk about that for just a little bit. Uh, verse 17 in most of your English text, was added to the text later by someone else. That's why it's in brackets. And so it was not a part of Luke's original manuscript. Therefore, we don't know whether it's inspired or not inspired. But the thing about it is, it is a truth that is taught in Mark 15:6, Matthew 27, 15, and John 18, 39. So it's not like it's not a, not a biblical thing. It just wasn't in Luke's gospel. But it says this. Now he was obligated, talking about Pilate, to release to them at the feast one prisoner. And so the other, other gospels say that, but uh, it wasn't in Luke. Somebody added it for the sake of completeness, I guess. Anyway, Luke goes on to say, But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man, and release for us Barabbas. Now, he was the one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. So not only was he an insurrectionist, but he was also murdering people during the insurrection. Verse 20, Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, remember his wife had a bad dream the night before and was was really warning Pilate, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. So Pilate tried to wash his hands of it. He tried to get out of it, but the people wouldn't listen. Now the crowd is all stirred up by the religious leaders. Crucify Jesus Christ. We will not have anything less. So Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on shouting out, saying, Crucify! Crucify him! And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. He said, I'm willing to placate the crowd here. I'll do something to him. Maybe we'll whip him or something. I don't know. We'll we'll do something, but I need to release him. He hasn't done anything that is a capital offense. Verse 23, but they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. Now, this is pretty early in the morning, remember. Uh, Jesus went to his first trial with the high priest at 6 a.m., and at 9 o'clock, he's going to be on the cross. So the people showed up, it's almost like they knew this was going to happen. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence on their demand that it be granted. And he released the man that they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But they delivered Jesus to their will. Now, you know, the other guy is Barabbas. And they released him. He was a known insurrectionist uh, fighting against Rome. He also had murdered people, no question about that. So they're saying, give us the murderer, not the innocent Jesus. And Pilate finally gives into it because he realized the crowd was going to uh, have their own way if he didn't do that. So what I believe we learn in 17 to 25, unbelievers choose the righteous over the robbers to be worthy of death. So they chose the righteous Jesus to be put to death, and they chose the robber to have life. Their justice is so upside down and so mixed up, it looks just like the stuff that's happening today in our country. We wonder, when is righteousness ever going to prevail again? Well, here it is, the righteous man is being chosen for death, and the unworthy man is being chosen for life. So at the trial of our Lord Jesus, there are many people who want him to die. Now, I'm sure there's people that showed up in the crowd. They were told to be there. The chief priests and the Pharisees, the scribes, are, are milling through the crowd and saying, uh, let's, let's make sure he gets crucified. Yell for him to be crucified. Let's let him really hear it. This is what we want. We're the religious leaders. Trust us. Whatever else they may have said. So there's lots of people there. It looks like they all want Jesus dead. The Jews know they can't kill anybody. They don't have that kind of power. The Romans did not give them the power of the sword. They have other things they could do, but they can't kill anybody. And so they've got to get Pilate, who does have the power to kill people, because he's the governor, uh, to, to put him to death, because he represents Rome. So the Jews can't kill him, according to Roman law. So they're working to get Rome to kill him. And Pilate is the governor, so they're the one he's after. And we understand then that Pilate orders the execution of Jesus Christ to appease the crowd. They started their own judgment of Jesus, having recently arrested him while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. By 6 a.m., he shows up at the high priest's house, and they're already uh, uh, doing their trial against him. Their judgment was in the early morning of Friday, and at a little after 6, daybreak, they had him at uh, uh, the high priest, and then they sent him to Pilate. Pilate then sent Jesus to Herod. And that was a sharp move on his part because of that, they got to be talking a little bit. They weren't talking before, and they became great friends. And from that time on, Pilate and Herod were good friends, and it was all about uh, the death of Jesus. Pilate uh, didn't find anything wrong. Herod didn't find anything wrong. They both wanted to wash their hands of it, but Pilate ended up having to make the judgment. So Pilate sent Jesus to Herod for that judgment. Herod found nothing worthy of death. For Jesus, So he sends him back to Pilate. So Jesus is just a pawn now between these powerful people. The governor kept trying to release Jesus. We just read once. He tried many times with some punishment to appease them all. He said, I'll whip him good, but I don't think I can put him to death. And they weren't having it. The religious leaders wanted Jesus dead by crucifixion. These are the people that are supposed to lead Israel in the truths of God and what God really said. And now they're putting God on the cross. And they're encouraging other people to do it. We understand from verse 17 uh, what was written in the text that Luke didn't actually write. Somebody else added it, but it is in the text of Matthew, Mark, and John, so we can trust it. That it was the custom of Pilate, because it's their Passover feast and it's a festive time, that if the people asked him to set free, free a prisoner, he would do that. It doesn't matter who it is. And that one prisoner of their choice uh, that he gave them was Barabbas. And I really think he thought, look, this guy's an insurrectionist. Of course, they don't like Rome either, but he's also a murderer. And surely they'll pick him. This Jesus guy, (laughs) he's ruffled a few feathers, but he hasn't done anything wrong. So Pilate, I think, wanted it to be Jesus that they called for. And he gave them that choice between Jesus and Barabbas. I want to take a minute and talk about who is Barabbas, all right? Um, his name is mentioned in the other Gospels, uh, so we know what his name is. Who was Barabbas? Well, his full name in Greek was Yeshua, son of Abba. And that, that is just the word Jesus, son of the father. Jesus, son of Abba. Isn't that interesting? The guy they picked, Barabbas, his name is uh, Jesus, son of Abba. He's the son of some father. According to the church father, Origen, so this is a church father that lived, uh, in, I think it was in the second century, and Origen wrote that this was the name of Barabbas, this is what his name meant. So thus, his name would have meant Jesus, son of the father, Abba, father. Now, I don't know of one commentator, I don't have all the commentaries on Luke, but I checked quite a few, uh, who mentioned this. So I don't want to make too much out of it, because I can't understand why somebody else has made something out of it, but it's true. His name is Jesus, son of the father. And uh, Jesus, our Jesus, his name means salvation or that he will save. Barabbas was the son of a father for sure, but it was not God the father. And I think this is intentional in the text. His father was not God. Who do you think his father was? Yeah, Satan is right. Satan is the answer. Jesus was the son of a completely different father. God the father in heaven. And I see this choosing between two sons of quite different fathers. They made a choice, and the people chose evil, the son of Satan, and not the son of God, if Origen is correct in telling us what his name means. Barabbas, who is he? Well, he's an insurrectionist. That means he hated Rome, and he did something about it. And he was willing to go to war against Rome. Well, they didn't didn't do that uh, to a success. He also murdered some Romans in the middle of that, and uh, so he's in prison. And what's going to happen to murderers is that they're going to be put up on a cross later. And the two men that hang with Jesus were also insurrectionists, maybe in the same insurrection, but those insurrectionists are on the cross. That's where Barabbas was going to go. See, he belongs on the cross. But instead of the son of Satan, they put the son of God on that cross. So an insurrectionist, one who revolts against the government authority. Here it's Rome. He is notorious. That's the word in the text there. He's notorious. He was, in other words, wildly and unfavorably known for his crimes. Now, the Greek word here is used in the negative sense, but in its positive sense, this word means of exceptional quality, prominent, outstanding. So if we put it in a negative sense and we apply it to the son of Satan, to Barabbas, then what that means is He is of an exceptionally bad quality. When it comes to bad people, Barabbas stands out. He's in a class of his own. He's exceptional at being bad. And that's the guy the Jews are selecting over Jesus. I think Pilate probably thought they wouldn't do that, but they did. The chief priests and the scribes and other religious leaders went through the crowds that were gathered uh, before Pilate, and there they instructed them, let's choose Barabbas. That's our choice. It's better than Jesus. Let's go with him in a decisive and a loud way, so they were screaming it out. The crowds did so. They followed what their religious leaders told them to do. And the religious leaders were actively pushing their weight around so a terrible, wicked man would be released and an innocent man would be crucified for a terribly wicked man and for us. Some people decide about Jesus from what they're told about him and from not what is true. You maybe have some friends that believe things about Jesus because they were told wrong things about Jesus. They were told things that were absolutely not true about Jesus. That's what the religious leaders are doing. And there's a lot of best friends in this world who have thusly led their friends to hell with the wrong information and hatred they have for Jesus and mostly for Christianity. And they say things about Jesus and Christianity that isn't true. They say we believe things that we really don't. And they don't talk about the things we really do believe. And so we have this uh, war going on in Jesus' day and in our day. Sometimes pastors today lead people away from the biblical Jesus by not preaching out of the Bible, not saying what the Bible says, saying things about Jesus like he's a good man, everybody gets to go to heaven, don't worry about it, which is a lie from hell. And pastors do that all the time. They lead people away from the biblical Jesus by not telling the whole gospel story, the truth of salvation. One of my mentors, Dr. Daryl Bach, said this, and I'm quoting, the greatest tragedy on earth is to misjudge who Jesus is. And if you were here this morning, you've misjudged Jesus. You think you're going to go to hell uh, and you're okay with it and you're not going to do anything about it? Well, that's one thing. Or you think you're going to go to heaven because you've been good and you're doing good things. Even though the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It isn't by good works. Our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. So why do people keep dying and going before God in judgment and offering their good works when he said, they're worthless? What'd you do with me, Jesus wants to know. Did you believe in me? Did you trust me? Did, did, you, did I become your savior? And the answer would be no. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, now let's go down to verse 33 in the second part here of Luke 23. I'm going I'm to read verse 33 and skip to verse 39. When they came to a place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, the word for criminal means insurrectionists, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among them. So everything that's happening here, the Bible said, especially like in Psalm 22, the very words that Jesus said on the cross are written in that psalm and other places. He's fulfilling scripture. And now I'm going to read uh, down from verse 39 to 43. One of the criminals, one of the insurrectionists who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him and said, do you not even fear God? See, this guy's come a long ways, hanging on that cross next to Jesus. I don't even know if he knew who Jesus was when he was hung on the cross. But he's there next to Jesus, and somehow he's figured out this man is God. And he says, The other one, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, how is it that we're both on the cross for being bad people, and you're suffering for being bad, and you're making fun of this guy? He didn't do anything wrong. He goes on, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus did not say, oh, I have to take a few days and go to hell, descend into hell and then to heaven, because that didn't happen. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so the Nicene Creed that says he descended into hell is not true. It's false teaching. There's another creed that doesn't mention that he descended into hell. That one's true. Anyway, we meet two criminals don't know their names. And the word used for them can mean insurrectionists or revolutionaries. And Barabbas was made for that group. And he should be hanging on a cross with the rest of them. But he's not. And I think this is probably the best option because Rome didn't put people to death who had just stole some things. They are insurrectionists. They are there to fulfill prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. I want to take time to read that. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Another famous passage about Jesus being on the cross. And it says, Therefore I will allot to him a portion with the great, and he will divide booty among the strong, because he poured out himself into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. If you'll look up there in verse 9 of Isaiah 53, it says, His grave was assigned with wicked men, the insurrectionists, yet he was with a rich man. In his, and let me read that as the Hebrew has it, in his deaths. Uh, Your text has a singular there. It's plural. It's It's considered an intensive plural. In other words, Jesus didn't just die one death. He died many deaths. One of them was for me. One of them was for you. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. We learned that the Messiah would be numbered among transgressors. Guess what? We're not insurrectionists, but we're the transgressors, just like they were. Both criminals and the other texts in the Gospels say that they, uh, uh, at their time on the cross, which began about 9 a.m., were joining with the people who were mocking Jesus. Even passerbys were mocking and people that had no business doing anything. They just do a kind of a drive-by or a camel-by, whatever they did, and they hurled abuse at Jesus. And I know there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus that mock him every day. I wish you knew what you were talking about. But they don't. They use his name like it means nothing. And they curse with it. And these people are cursing at Jesus. Where Jesus is concerned, we all start out in the same place. Enemies of God. Just like those men on the cross. They would be on their crosses the whole time Jesus was on his, and they could hear everything he was saying. They could see the things that were happening, like the sky turning black for three hours, at, starting at noon. Somewhere along the way, one of those criminals has changed his mind in his heart about who Jesus is and who he really was. So he stops mocking Jesus, and he starts chastising the other man for acting like he is somehow superior to Jesus, even though they're suffering the same fate. He's saying, knock it off. Don't you even fear God? And I just thank, thank God for that guy sticking up for Jesus on the cross. All the rejection Jesus went through. And this guy says, today... You know, Lord, would you remember me when you get to paradise? And Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't know if I would have been in the right mood to save anybody. But thank goodness I'm not Jesus. Jesus was Jesus. And his love is infinite. And he loves you. So, what started out uh, this was the words in verse 40 Do not even fear God. Do you not even fear God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Our high school kids are learning that in Proverbs on Wednesday nights. Here is the wisdom of salvation and where to get it. Salvation from what? Sometimes we say you need to be saved to people, and they're probably thinking, well, you know, I'm not drowning. You've got a life preserver. What's going on? Saved from what? Is the place on fire? I don't know. They need to understand that there's only two paths. One of them leads to hell, and the other one leads to heaven. And you need to be saved from ending up in hell. That's what you need. And so we're saying what we need to tell you is how you can go to heaven instead of the place you're headed. And they'll deny they're going to hell. Everybody gets into heaven, which is all uh, Satan's lies. Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise, where this forgiven sinner is going to meet Jesus in a short while. Uh, in the world was used also to describe the Garden of Eden. It is a place of blessedness we call heaven. It is where Jesus is going in in a short while after he dies on the cross. He says it's his finish, and he bows his head, and and gives up his spirit. And Paul is later going to be caught up to heaven. He's going to come back and tell us it's real. And I suggest it's a place you should want to go. I suggest it's where you need to go. And don't let Satan lie to you. You can't get there by doing good things and being good. You can't get there by checking off, I went to church last Christmas, and now I'm in church on Easter, I'm done. No, you're not. You're not even started. You may need to decide to ask Jesus for forgiveness for your sins and for eternal life in him. And by the way, it's just that easy. If you had to do something for it, you couldn't. You have no idea, and I have no idea how much sin costs, how much God hates sin. God hates sin so much he built a place called the Lake of Fire to punish people there forever and ever for rejecting him. But you don't have to go there. You don't have to reject him. You can have all the glories of heaven and the glory of being with God by exercising faith and saying, Lord, today I recognize I am a wretched sinner. Humble yourself before him and say, I can't pay for my sins. I can't be good enough for my sins. The Bible says I can't. Today I believe it. And today I'm trusting that you paid for my sins on that cross. And you prove that I'll be resurrected by resurrecting yourself. If you believe that, Jesus will give you eternal life. It's a gift of God. Jesus was always surrounded with people, and they were always on one of two paths. There weren't five or six or 20 or a 1,000 paths. There's just two. Now, that other path that leads to hell, they put all kinds of names on it, but it's still the same path. And uh, that one path heads to hell. Only Jesus heads to heaven. So will you stay with the wicked of this world and decide against Jesus, or will you get off that path and decide for Jesus? After what the crowd saw in Jesus' death, the text says they were mournful for their actions. They walked off grieving, crying about what they did, but it doesn't say they turned to faith in Christ. You can cry all you want, but if you don't trust Christ as your Savior, you still have nothing. The two people who had the most spiritual insight at the cross were the Roman centurion, a Gentile, and an insurrectionist who was being properly punished for his crime and if they can have that insight so can you maybe today is the day for you on the cross jesus followed his own instructions to his disciples when he said love your enemies we already talked about the bible said in romans five 10, we're the enemies of god we were conceived as sinners and enemies in the womb you're on the path before you're even uh, out of the womb <laughs> And you stay on that path unless you make a decision for Jesus Christ. And it's easy to do. I wonder what you think Jesus wants you to do. (laughs) He wants you to come home. He wants you to be one of his children. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. They're destroying to death in the humanity of Jesus, his life. How would you like to be free of the debt you owe God for your sins today? if you've never done that. How would you like to be free of that debt? That's what we mean by being saved. I want to just emphasize there's just two paths. There's not four or five. The Bible does not contradict itself. It told us how to be saved, and we can't make up our own. Here's a couple of illustrations. This one's from Starbucks. You ever heard of that? Okay. Starbucks first turned regular drip coffee into a $5 half-calf. Extra whipped cream with uh, mocha latte. Uh, Now they are uh, producing dozens of bizarre concoctions dreamed up by social media stars. These complex drinks include a triple caramel threat, cold brew with caramel syrup, vanilla sweet cold foam blended with dark caramel and caramel drizzle, and a matcha. I don't even know if I say that right. Matcha, if I say that at the window, they'd probably say, oh, you're right, sir. Uh, Matcha pink drink featuring. The chain strawberry, and I looked this up uh, online, I think it's called Acai Refreshers Beverage with Green Tea Powder and Sweet Cold Foam added. Their complexity is uh, lengthening lines and driving baristas nuts. It's a bit exhausting, said a Starbucks barista in Buffalo, New York. The drink Starbucks menu looks like a lineup of drinks and more like a buffet of ingredients to be mixed together in crazy ways to create off-menu drinks that list ten separate customizations on the side of the cup that I have to fill. The customization of beverage in the center of Starbucks mainstay, the customer's ability to tailor and uh, make any drink the way they want it to their taste, and take it to the extreme, Starbucks says an an addition to the beverage options listed on its menu board, They say there are 170,000 possible combinations that you could order at Starbucks. And I've sat in a line where somebody was doing that. (laughs) American society suffers from a plague of things that are too complicated. Jesus isn't one of them. There's one choice for him and every other choice against him. That's it. It's a simple choice to make. I'm either going to follow whatever, whatever cult I want to follow, whatever occult I want to follow. I can be a Buddhist, I can be a Muslim, I can be a Jehovah's Witness, I can be a Mormon, I can be all these things where they don't have the real Jesus. No matter what the flavor, it's going to take me to a place I don't want to be. Or I can choose Jesus. And I can go straight to heaven when I die. No matter what I've done. Jesus forgives us for all our past sins, our sins for today, and our sins for tomorrow. They're all, they're all taken care of under his blood. There's only two choices, it's not like this. Well, one more about choices. Tess Brigham, a licensed psychotherapist, specializes in treating those in the millennial generation. It wasn't her decision. She said they just came flocking to her practice, Brigham said. 90% of my patients are between the ages of 23 and 38. The rest are usually parents of millennials. I think she likes millennials. Over the last five years of practice, she noticed a dominant theme when it comes to the clusters of problems about which the millennials are kept, uh, kept, uh, seek, kept seeking help for when they come to see her. They say, I have too many choices, and I can't decide what to do. Uh, what if I make the wrong choice, they say. Psychologist Barry Schwartz has a theory as to why this is the case in his book, The Paradox of Choice, Uh, Swartz argues that people are more likely to regret their choices if they have too many options from which to choose. Can you figure where I'm going to go with that? They either make poor choices or make good choices but feel bad about them or refuse to choose, which is itself a choice. There is only one choice to make about your salvation. The other choice has already been made for you, if you want to look at it that way. You're bound for hell from the womb. You're an enemy of God. That's where you're going if you don't trust Christ as Savior. But there is a choice you can make to get off of that one path. And the choice is, God, I've been thinking I could impress you with my good works or how much money I give to the church or whatever it is I want to hold up and say, look at these, look at these wonderful religious things that I've done. And then to have to hear from God and say, I didn't tell you to do that. I told you in my book your righteous works, whatever they are, are trash to me. Do you think if you could have worked your way in, I would have sent my son to die this horrible death for you? Hmm, hadn't thought about that. No. All you had to do was take his sacrifice and make it your own through faith. That's why I would save you on his merit, not yours. And Satan has people believing they're going to get in by good works or get in by being better than their neighbor. I don't know what your neighbor's like. Cecil just lives down the street from me, and uh, if if he wasn't better than me, we're both going to hell. And neither one of us are counting on being better than each other. We're counting on, does he know Jesus as Savior, and do I know Jesus as Savior? It has nothing to do with my works. So there's only one choice really to make, because without Christ, you're already on the other path, and I don't want you to go there. So, how would you like to know beyond a shadow of a doubt today that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? How would you like to know that, if you don't? And friends, all paths, all roads lead to hell, except one. The world is telling you all paths lead to God. Well, they lead to a God, all right, but not the one you want. Barabbas was the son of a father, and Barabbas' father was Satan. I want you to be sons of the living God or daughters of the living God. And so I want you to decide for Jesus as your Savior today if you've never done that. I'm sure most of you have, but some maybe not. I don't know. So the second part of the application is once you genuinely have him, I want you to know you cannot lose your place in heaven no matter what you do because your salvation and your freedom came from the blood of Christ, not from what you and I do. So let me just say it one more time. All I have to do, when I was eight years old, I did this. I was in the upper bunk bed in our room, uh, we had kind of a half basement where the ground was level with the windows, and I was on the top bunk and my brother on the bottom because he always wondered if somebody broke in, he wanted me to be killed first, and he'd have a chance to escape. He told me that, but I stuck it out. I was a man at eight years old, put my life on the line for my brother. Anyway, my dad came in and we went to church, you know, a lot. My mom and dad will say we never miss church, that's a lie. They had a security camper trailer. We went on the weekends a lot of times. We missed a lot of church. I brought that up once, but I was a kid, so it didn't make any difference. But the point is, we went to church a lot, and I heard the gospel story. My dad said, you know, what about you? He said, Greg, what about you? Are you going to go to heaven when you die? I said, I don't know. I know Jesus. I know who he is. And he told me, here's what you have to do. You have to, you have to change your mind that you can't get in on your own merit, your own good works, and you have to change to believe that the only way you're going to get in is Jesus saved you with his blood. And by that we mean his death, right? And Because it was his death that paid the price. And if you'll just ask him to forgive you for your sins, and I said, yeah, I want to do that. So I prayed and he led me. Lord Jesus, would you please forgive me of my sins? I'm trusting that you paid for all my sins on the cross. And I asked him to come and be, uh, take residence in my life. And then my dad kissed me on the cheek and said, good night. He walked into his room with a boy that was bound for hell, and he left with a boy that was bound for heaven. It is so simple. It is so loving. And if you haven't made that choice, you could do it right where you are sitting. Jesus will hear you in your head. And if you do that, I'd like to know about it, because I have a book I'd like to give you called Welcome to the Family and it'll kind of guide you through what you need to know about salvation. I'd love to do that. I'm so glad you're here on Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, We made a decision that Noel and I are going to go back to standing by the door to greet people. If you want to greet us, you can go out that door. If you don't, there's big holes in the back. You can get around me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to think about your resurrection. That it was real. That it was miraculous. That it was the finishing touch on our salvation. Thank you for loving us so much that you wanted to come and save us. Knowing we couldn't do it on our own. We deserved hell for our sin. And somehow you came along and loved us so much that you said, I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to take care of your debt." But you need to make a decision to believe. And we want to thank you for the forgiveness of sins. And if somebody has made that decision today, help them to understand. The Bible also says if you genuinely make that decision, you cannot lose it. And I just want to thank you for that too. We ask that you would bless us in the rest of this day. Uh, Many are going to be meeting with family and friends and enjoying a meal together. I pray our fellowship would be sweet around the salvation that we have in Christ. And I ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen.